Welcome to Press Any Button, the only podcast about video games. I am Eric. Yeah, the, the only one ever out there. I'm Nikki. Uh, and today we're talking about Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite is a first-person shooter developed by Irrational Games. It takes place in the steampunk-style floating city state of Columbia, where you are tasked with rescuing slash kidnapping a girl with mysterious powers from a tower to clear gambling debts. Spoiler warning, the story in this game is very good. I highly recommend playing this game before listening to this episode because we will be talking about some pretty huge spoilers. Oh yeah, I I definitely back that up. I would definitely recommend playing the game and then listening to this. Or if you don't care about spoilers... I'm sure the game would still be super fun, even if you know about That's the true. story. <laughs> I don't know. This ending is probably one of the, like, it's a huge twist ending, and it's so good. So good. So just keep that in mind before you continue listening. Yeah. All right. You ready to get into it? Oh, yeah. All right, Nikki. I am really excited to hear how this game got made, why they did it in a freaking floating city as opposed to an underwater city. Just anything that has to do with this game. Oh my gosh. I'm so ready. Okay, your expectations are really high. So um, they're through the roof. They're through, they're up in the clouds with this floating city. (laughs) Well, I can only answer so many things. I may not be able to answer all the questions, but hopefully. I can inform you more than what you are now. Are you ready to begin learning? I am ready to open your brain. Open Open, your mind. Time to open my mind brain. Your mind brain. And get into (laughs) what makes this game happen. All right. Buckle up. (laughs) Buckle up. Buckle up. It's a wild ride. (laughs) All right. I am seatbelt fastened. Ready to go. Okay. So, as you know, Bioshock Infinite was released in 2013, but I want to take you back to February 2008. 2008. Yes. This was six months after the original Bioshock was released, Um, and this is also when Ken Levine and Irrational Games begin working on Bioshock Infinite. So they started working on Bioshock Infinite before Bioshock 2? Because it went Bioshock, Bioshock 2. Or were they already working on Bioshock 2 before they released Bioshock? Just so confident that it was going to blow up and be the game that it was. I'm not sure if they started working on it before Bioshock 2. But there's definitely some overlap time, uh, it seems like. Gotcha. Um, And just FYI... Ken Levine is the creative director for the original Bioshock, and he's also the creative director for Bioshock Infinite. But, and his name's going to come up a lot. So okay, that's but why not Bioshock 2, so he just skipped not it. Not Bioshock 2. He actually passed up the opportunity to work on Bioshock 2 in favor of working on Bioshock Infinite. So he was just like, I already did the underwater city game. I need to do a different type of city that's not underwater. Mm, I guess so. I mean, I'm not really, you know, I'm not in his brain or anything, but uh, maybe he disliked the idea of having the similar game style and I guess concepts, but in a different setting. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So anyways, he chose to pass up Bioshock 2 to work on Bioshock Infinite. Cool. Yeah. And they worked on it for about two and a half years before they announced the game. I guess they didn't want to take anything away from Bioshock 2 by, you know, <laughs> talking about Bioshock Infinite <laughs> so, yeah, too yeah. early. I, I know we're about to come out with Bioshock 2, but wait till I tell you about the third that's going to be way better. Don't even bother playing the second one. Exactly. <laughs> 
didn't like a console do that once? Didn't they like talk about their next console before they even released the, the like when they were working on and then no one bought the one they yeah. were working on because they were just like, we'll wait for the next I one. I think you're talking about <laughs> Sega and its 32X attachment thing they had for the Genesis. But they also released like the Sega CD like at the same time. Yeah, it was like, okay. You're kind of ruining it there. So maybe they didn't want to pull a Sega. But um, anyways, <laughs> they finally did announce the game in 2010. But before that, yeah, it was kind of under like an alias name. What was the alias? It was actually called Project Icarus. Ooh. Yeah. And I think if you went to like projecticarus.net, it, they had like a whole fake website and everything for it. <laughs> And then uh, if you try cool. to go there now, it just redirects you to Bioshock Infinite. But I just thought it was kind of funny the depth that they went into to hide the, the they were you know super, rumors of this game. They were super excited about this game. Yeah. So as you can um, kind of imagine, Bioshock Infinite is not a direct sequel or prequel of any of the previous Bioshock games, and it takes place in an entirely different setting than the previous two. Although it does share some similar features and gameplay and concepts to the previous game, that's kind of it. Like, everything else is way different. It really could almost just be its own game. Yeah, they really could. I think the Bioshock franchise had been so successful, though. I I, kind of understand why they didn't try to just branch it off as its own game. Because, you know, you already have a strong brand, so why not use that brand with this game as well? Exactly. And they did kind of keep like the steampunk thing going. So that's cool. Um, But yeah, overall, it took them five years to create this game. They worked on it from 2008 until, you know, they released it. So it's a pretty long development time for a game. Yeah. I mean, I can see why they put a lot of detail into the game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they did. Actually, according to Levine, Infinite was designed and developed from scratch with none of its assets taken from previous Bioshock games. In terms of gameplay, Irrational designed the vertical and open air spaces of Columbia to provide more opportunities to include like more various types of combat compared to the close range limits of Rapture within the original Bioshock. Yeah, and that's kind of where I think the game kind of stands out from the other Bioshock games is it's so much more open. You know, there are the little roller coaster rails going around that you can jump on so you can change vantage points really easily. Exactly. Um, You can get into battles inside buildings, outside. So you have long range versus close range. Yeah, just a diversity of places you can kill people is really good in the infinite. Totally. And uh, actually, since the original release, which I didn't know this until I started doing research for the podcast, uh, I'm kind of excited. There's actually two major pieces of downloadable content that have been released uh, by Irrational for this game. The first piece is Clash of the Clouds. It's a non-story arena-based combat mode where the player is faced with increasingly difficult waves of enemies on various maps based on in-game settings. Kind of sounds like... um, So like an endless style play where you just keep going until you get killed. Exactly. Kind of sounds like maybe where you would go if you wanted to practice to get good at the moves and everything. (laughs) Yeah, or fighting particular enemies like some of these enemies in this game are really tough. Yeah, and that was actually released July 2013. And then the second piece of downloadable content is called Burial at Sea. That is a story-based expansion set in Rapture that links Infinite's story to that of the original Bioshock game. Oh, yeah, and Rapture... That sounds cool, doesn't it? Yeah, and uh, Rapture, just in case you're wondering and you don't haven't played this series, is the underwater city from the original Bioshock. I think one and, and two? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's two episodes with that story, and one came out on November 12th, 2013. Hey, that's my mom's birthday. And then the second part came out March 25th, 2014. So, like, I definitely want to go and play, like, the story one. <laughs> yeah, for I'm sure. Not, I'm not <laughs> as interested in the Clash of the Clouds, but 
the burial at sea sounds super cool. Yeah, I'll give it a shot, though. That, that, that does sound like it could be pretty fun. Yeah. Also, Bioshock Infinite received numerous year-end awards and nominations after its release in 2013. Um, it won Game of the Year award from 42 publications. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am not surprised. <laughs> yeah, at all including by that. Uh, Associated Press, CNN, even Forbes. <laughs> I, I didn't did. even know they did like video game uh, lists, but I, I mean, guess they do. That's where I get all my reviews <laughs> exactly. for games on Forbes. <laughs> it also won Best Shooter of the Year awards from several publications, including Game Informer and IGN. Um, overall. Super well-received game. Yeah, I totally get that. It's, uh, well, we'll get into the reviews. It's it's pretty pretty good. Oh, yeah. So are you ready for some fun facts? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. My oh, favorite yeah. part. Fun facts. <laughs> fun fact number one. So during the initial stages of development, Irrational originally considered several settings for the game, including reusing Rapture, or setting the story in a renaissance period. <laughs> yeah. Before Bio, they, Bioshock renaissance? Yes. Before they finally decided on the floating city of Columbia. Huh. I'm glad. I don't know when they were kind of thinking of you reusing um, Rapture, but that must have been early on because once yeah. Ken signed on, he knew it would at least be a different setting. Yeah. I'm I'm glad they didn't go back to Rapture again. I feel like there's only so much you can do in an underwater city. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but true. Unless you start creating battles like in the water, maybe if you have yeah. like a torpedo kind of gun thing or I don't mm. know something like that. Yeah, for a setting that takes place in an underwater city, you don't really spend that much time submerged in water in the original Bioshock games. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact number two. The original score for Bioshock Infinite was composed by Gary Schemann. Uh, hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad. <laughs> Who um, also composed both of the scores for Bioshock and Bioshock 2. Okay. So there's something that connects them all together. <laughs> same, same music guy. <laughs> yeah. Levine felt that the game had a much more of an American feel to it and added that the team wanted a bit more of a frontier feel to the music. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely get that. There's a lot of like old school, like 1920s or I guess 12 piano kind of music and like jazz. And oh, yeah. Yeah. That... Little like little ditties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the music in the, in the game feels super authentic to the time period. Yeah, and something else that's like kind of cool about the soundtrack or the score is Levine actually went on uh, later in interviews and he made a comment that the score was particularly inspired by Johnny Greenwood's score for There Will Be Blood, which served as a good starting point <laughs> for the score of 12 Monkeys. Huh. Yeah, Never. that was quite a weird fun fact. But I don't know. I just like how t the score for 12 Monkeys is connected to the score for Bioshock Infinite. I, I never actually saw 12 Monkeys. What? So, yeah. Oh. Sorry. Okay. Well, I'm definitely <laughs> going to put that on your list. Okay. Fun fact number three. This game was delayed three times. Okay. Uh, which, you know, that's not too unheard of in the video game world. Games get delayed all the time. But the developers included a humorous self-reference to this when Elizabeth enters the Duke in Dimmit Arcade in the Battleship Bay. And there she has a line of dialogue where she mentions that the latest Duke in Dimwit game was delayed three times. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I like when gamers can make fun of themselves, you know, put little Easter eggs like that in for people especially the people that probably were waiting for the whole three years since it was announced or whatever yeah gotta have those inside jokes yeah fun fact number four the lutis twins find booker dewitt and bring him into comstock's timeline so he can reclaim elizabeth across at least 122 different realities none of which the attempts are successful you actually know this early on because 
Do you remember the scene where they ask you to flip a coin and you pick heads or tails? Yeah, yeah. So if you look closely at the sandwich board that uh, Robert's wearing, you can see tally marks on both sides and it shows 122 (laughs) heads out of 122 flips. Okay. So I guess it always lands on the same thing no matter what you pick. But I thought that was kind of interesting. And when we start talking about the story, maybe we can come back to this. But yeah, 122 different realities. 122 attempts. That definitely comes... None were successful. Goes into the story because if you don't know like what this game is kind of about then that kind of doesn't make any sense yeah and i'm that's actually the end of the fun facts oh but if we want to go into the story now we can go ahead and segue right in there sure yeah let's go into the story so there are three main characters in this game uh you play as booker who is trying to rescue slash kidnap elizabeth to clear his gambling debts elizabeth who wants to not be locked in the tower she spent her entire life living in uh, and she is being held in the tower by her father, Comstock, who is a cult leader slash founder of Columbia and the main villain in the game. Yes. So those are kind of like the three. There, there are a bunch of other characters, but they're kind of more uh, side like characters. Side characters, yeah. Well, I would say, I guess the other two main characters are the, was it Latisse twins? Yeah, they are a brother-sister twin duo. And they kind of remind me of like, I don't know. The Treshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. They sort of like speak in riddles and yeah, they just kind of uh, like show up in random spots and say nonsensical things. <laughs> yeah, and then they along just, with things that make sense. So. And, then, and then you'll look away and they'll just be gone. Exactly. They're very interesting though. I like them. Yeah, yeah. They're like I said. I they're kind of creepy, but you kind of always enjoy their company. Yeah, it's always interesting when they pop up. One of the main themes of this game, I guess you'd say, is alternative universes yeah so like different or having alternative timelines yeah just in the slight variables between them and what difference that can make in the timeline it almost reminds me a little bit of butterfly effect early in the game yeah i can see that yeah or one tiny decision or move can change the course of what's going to happen yeah so elizabeth has the power to kind of open these tears um, which are portals to alternative realities and these tears can uh, either be used to pull objects into like their reality or they can enter them to kind of change reality i guess their function of like pulling objects into their reality is one of the like battle functions. Like you can yeah. have her like pull a hook in or pull in some uh, medical supplies or pull in some uh, ammo for a gun. So it exactly. kind of di- serves as both the story purpose and the uh, gameplay purpose. Exactly. And do you want to, should we give like a brief overview of the story? Yeah. So uh, like we've said, you're playing as Booker DeWitt, who is actually an ex Pinkerton agent. And you've got some debts, and you're trying to get those cleared. So your mission is to bring back the girl. The girl is Elizabeth, who we are just talking about. And over the game, you find out Elizabeth... You find more and more out about Elizabeth, and that she has a power, I guess you would say, where she can open these time tears. Yeah, which is what I was just talking about. Exactly, which is what we were just talking about. And those are usually represented as black and white. So you can tell a difference if it's kind of like a weird shape. And it's the same room, but maybe slightly different. And it's in black and white. You can kind of see into these tears that she creates. And then throughout the course of the game, you have all these battles. You're fighting, what, the Patriots, right? Or... No, Patriots was Metal Gear Solid too. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> no, but they do have the... Um, there, there are enemies called Patriots. Yeah, there are enemies <laughs> called the Patriots. My bad. But the um, what are all the, like, the soldiers called? Uh, just Comstock's like, men, yeah, people. <laughs> the, the, the main police guys in Columbia slash army guys or whatever. Yeah, and your goal is to just bring Elizabeth back so you can clear debts. Yeah, that, but of course, that, all this other stuff happens. Um that's way more interesting than that. Yeah, you go through like little side plots. I feel like we should talk about Columbia a little bit too, because Columbia is almost like a character in a sense. Definitely. The city. Like, uh, what was your impression of Columbia? 
Well, obviously at first you're just like, wow, this is really cool. It's something you would sort of imagine when you were a kid, like it's just in your brain, you know, like, oh, it'd be so cool to have a city in the sky. Yeah. Well, this is a city in the sky and it's all steampunk and 19, like 12 style. So it's, it's weird seeing like old times with really futuristic kind of like technology. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool mix of those two things. But uh, Columbia, the city itself, it's uh, it's very it's a very class society. Like, oh, um, yeah, there's a very clear like upper and lower class. It's a super racist society. <laughs> uh, yeah, they definitely have this. Um, what is it called? Like white supremacist sort of yeah very attitude it's a super super religious city to the point where like you know they're worshiping george washington which is super weird almost like a cult sort of yeah it also like super american to the point where it's like yeah it's just ridiculous yeah so it's like like there's a giant uh statue of john wilkes booth in their hall of heroes and yeah it's it's a little bit like weird and kind of disturbing yeah exactly but like it looks looks really beautiful like kind of on the surface until you start getting into into the city a little bit certain parts of the city yeah that's a really good point there's definitely a lot of messed up crap that happens in columbia (laughs) yeah and as you're playing through the game yeah, you hear quite a few things that were like, ugh. But um, it all plays to the story, so it's for a reason. Yeah. So, yeah, so you end up helping some revolutionaries trying to start a rebellion. And you end up, this is kind of the butterfly effect thing uh, that we get into. They need to go get weapons from this guy. Oh, it turns out he's dead. So now we're going to open this tear and go through into this reality where he's not dead. And that's where things start like getting kind of creepier and creepier and just that brings uh, me to another thing I was going to ask. Would you consider this a horror game? (laughs) No. I mean, I didn't find it super scary. Like a horror game would typically make me feel, but I can see like certain parts of the game, certain scenes are kind of creepy. Yeah. It's super weird in a way because you know, it'll, it'll be super bright out and sunny. You're r- riding around on these like uh, rails, like a roller coaster. It's it's super fun. You know, like yeah. <laughs> and then you get into other parts of the game, and it gets really, really fucking creepy. Yeah, it's nighttime. You're in a cemetery. Yeah. Um, the the creepiest part were the um, the siren. Yeah, people. they're like siren guys. They're these um, characters, and they don't have heads. Instead of a head, they have sort of like an alarm looking, like two, almost like two megaphones. Yeah, and they have, they're projecting um, these uh, beams of light. And if it happens to come across you, you know, it'll turn yellow and then it'll turn red. Flash. Yeah, and it will start, it'll make a really loud song, a loud sound. And then at the same time, uh, you're trying to sneak through these rooms full of like these weird puppet guys. You can't really hurt them. Um, yeah, they're kind of like, zombies sort of they not like they don't look like zombies but you know they're just like standing there like in a trance yeah or it looks like a, a sane asylum type yeah setting they're just kind of like walking around and they're and they don't really attack you but once the siren head guy <laughs> sees you and he flashes his lights and all that stuff it kind of i guess wakes these tra- yeah, people that and, are in a and trance suddenly all up. these people that you're kind of surrounded by and you can't really interact with We'll start fucking chasing you and attacking you <laughs> and attacking you. So it's pretty, pretty all terrifying. of a sudden you just have like 20 people coming at you and you have to, yeah. bat, you know, fight yeah. them off. But, but, but yeah, that was the part of the game that really like, okay, this feels like a horror game at this point. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think it was that scary. Mm, more maybe. just, uh, just more just kind of unsettling and creepy. I think. Yeah. Just creepy. But I definitely wouldn't call it a horror game, a horror genre game of a game. Yeah, I think it's I think it skirts that borderline pretty well. Yeah, and then obviously at the end of the game, there's like a pretty huge twist, and I don't know how much do we want to go into the twist. I still feel like we shouldn't ruin this twist because okay. because you can still talk a lot about the story without actually ruining the twist. All right, well we'll try not to ruin it. <laughs> 
too much, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk everything up to the twist because the twist really is like right at the end of the game and it kind of what, what it ends the game on. Yeah. So, Eric, do you want to start talking about uh, what we like about the game? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I had a ton of pros on this game. I do, too. Oh, but before we do that, maybe we should take a little break and highlight one of the podcasts we've been talking to lately. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. Hello, Press Any Button podcast listeners. I'm Bianca. And I'm Trent. And we are from I I Forgot Forgot I I Own That. If you're like us, you have a lot of video games that you acquired at some point and you just never played. Maybe you had a reason for getting them at one point, but that reason is is gone with the wind. This is a problem we have, and we created this podcast to specifically solve that problem. Every episode, we each play a new game that we own for some reason and never played before, give you our hot takes, and hopefully inspire you to tackle your backlogs as well. You can find new episodes every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at IFIOT Podcast, or you can catch me streaming on Twitch at I Forgot I Own That. Hope to see you around. Bye. Bye. Okay, so I am excited to talk about all the things I like about this game. Yeah, I, I wrote a lot of pros on this. There's a lot of things to like. Do you want to go first? Sure. All um, right. So we were just talking about the story. My first pro is the story. Oh, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> what a quinky dink. One of the things I really liked about the story is that it didn't try to avoid politics or religion. So yeah, yeah. Columbia is basically America on crack. Uh, everything is turned up to 11. Uh, more nationalistic, more religious, more laissez-faire capitalistic, uh, more racist arguably because we're in 1910 i don't know how depending on where you are in 1910 maybe crazy how relevant this game is yeah still yeah it's kind of like surreal but not it's almost not really outside the realm of believability either like it's it's kind of absurd but yeah not that absurd either other than the fact that you know it's a floating city i also like how the story managed to avoid cliches like at one point there's a uh, there's a working class rebellion and it, you kind of get the impression like, okay, like this is going to be a good thing. Yeah, this is going to be great. We're gonna we're gonna overcome those evil oppressors together. Yeah, it felt like it was going towards like the white savior trope. Yeah, where you know the white man comes and saves all the minority figures. <laughs> yeah, but then it turns out, oh, uh, they're evil too, and now we have even more people trying to kill you. <laughs> yeah, everyone's evil. Everyone's evil much. in this game. But yeah, the story's so good. I like how they just put so much thought into like every detail, you know? Like every character has a reason. Every gun that you find, there's a scenario where that can be useful. There's just not a lot of like just meaningless fluff in the story. Yeah. But yeah, and definitely the end. Like, yeah. you know, we talk about the story, but the ending is clearly what ties everything together and just kind of like blows your mind. Yeah, it's literally probably one of the most satisfying endings in a video game I've ever played. I would compare it to a book that you just don't want to put down. You know, have you ever started reading a book and just within a few days you're like, dang, I just blew through that thing. (laughs) Yeah. This is like the video game version of that. Like, it's so good. You don't want to stop playing yet. I could imagine people just playing through this in like two days just because they want to get to the like know what the story is all about yeah and yeah it does not disappoint i agree with you the uh gameplay like to me i think the gameplay does a really good job of building the difficulty very slowly you know yeah so that you have time to sort of learn everything as you go there's no tutorials or anything that you have to do really and then the variety of like weapons slash different powers that the vigors give you that combo is super fun just being able to battle with like supernatural stuff and also regular guns it's just like the perfect balance of fantasy and reality I <laughs> yeah guess. i love that like shoot 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 lightning from my hand shoot 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 exactly uh <laughs> <laughs> and which I just curious what um like vigors did you like the most or did you use the most? Because like let's kind of go through. You have the um the first one is possession, right? So you can 
throw that out and it turns your enemies basically so that they're working for you instead of against you, right? Yeah, it's mostly useful for the machines that are really powerful in this game. And then you've got the electricity, which is basically lightning bolts. Yeah, which stuns people. Mm-hmm. Stuns people and machines, um, which is pretty helpful. Let's see what else. You've got Bronco, right? Which is kind of like... You can like ram into people. Yeah. You didn't really use that one that much. I didn't really use the Bronco very much. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't really use it. Although I did see how it was useful in some situations if you needed to like ram it. Usually I was trying to go the other direction. <laughs> yeah. I was usually running away from people as opposed to like trying to go into them. But if you're like speed running the game or something, I can see that being super useful. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm not sure why I didn't use that one very much, but yeah, I didn't use that one very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll see what else is there. There's the like octopus tentacle Yeah. That... where you can grab people and bring them closer to you. Yeah, I didn't use that one I for the same reason. I didn't use that one either. <laughs> I didn't use Bronco, which is I'm running away from people. <laughs> exactly. I like to keep my distance in these games. It's usually safer that way. Yeah. Uh, and then there was... Well, actually, I could see that useful for, like, the snipers. Um, oh, yeah. Which I didn't think Would to use Would it go it that there. far, though? I think... Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was Return to Cinder, which that one was really cool because it would you would put out these like orbs and then anything shot into it would basically go back to whoever shot. Well, you could use it a couple different ways. If you held down the button or whatever, you'd basically hold it in front of you. So whenever anyone shot you, you'd basically be invincible while you're holding it down. And then you would gather damage and then you could throw it back at people. And the other thing you could do is you could lay orbs just around if you needed to protect a certain area. But I, I ended up using Return to Sender probably more than anything else in 1999 mode once I got it. Really? I, mean, I guess once I got it, I did use it a lot. But you kind of don't get well, it till like, in, sort of the end. In 1999 mode, you die super easy. So <laughs> essentially, I was, using, I was using it to use my mana as a third health bar because, you know, you have your shields, you have your health. And then basically, well, as long as you're using this, you're invincible and you have mana to use it. Uh, and some of those oh that's really smart and some of those fights you really you almost had to <laughs> yeah well i used it a lot but mostly like towards the very end but yeah that one was really cool and then you have the um murder of crows yeah one. i use that uh, uh that one beginning. was really cool I, yeah i use that one a lot sort of towards the beginning yeah it kind of stuns people like lightning it doesn't do any to anything to machines but it stuns people for a longer period of time yeah uh, and then, and it sends like a bunch of crows to attack. Yeah, and then you can buy a, a really sweet upgrade for it, which essentially, if someone dies while they're being attacked by the crows, they'll become another crow trap. <laughs> oh, cool! I, never, I didn't upgrade it that far. Yeah, so you can well, kind of keep it going. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it is. I, lo- I love that figure. I've pretty much used the uh, electric shock one the most. Yeah, and then the return to cinder probably second. Yeah, fire. but I had like all the upgrades for the electricity one. <laughs> yeah, fire was the fireballs were pretty useful, but I would never spot like the little oil things that you could light on fire until after the battle was already oh. over, and then I'd like be going through. I'm like, oh, I could have set that on fire. <laughs> that w- that would have been helpful. Well, but once you upgrade it so much, though, like basically one like lightning bolt will ricochet off of whoever you hit and then like shock other people nearby and that's almost like the same effect as what the oil spill would have done because it just basically spreads the electricity out right well the the fire spot could be strategic but they're kind of different i guess okay i guess i was just thinking of it differently yeah so is that all the vigors yeah that's all of them okay i think there was like eight but yeah, the Vigors are pretty much these potions that you drink and they give you those powers that we were just talking about. Yeah, magic. Magic. <laughs> so I had that the Skyline game mechanic is super fun. So the Skyline is basically a rail that you can kind of attach yourself to as long as you're close enough. Like you can just jump up to it. It's magnetic. You have a little arm thing that will let you like Yeah, slide you have along. like a sweet like hook arm extension thing. Right? Yeah. And you can hook on. It's kind of like a, imagine like the Batman roller coaster or something. (laughs) You know, you have like the rail of like a roller coaster 
And you can use this arm extension to hook on and just freaking ride it around yeah, like crazy. It's fucking sweet. Yeah, so usually there you'll get into kind some... Kind of like zip line, I guess. Yeah, so you'll get into some battlefields, and they'll have a, uh, a skyline, and you can use those. Um, and they'll usually kind of loop around, so you can take the skyline and find, like, hidden areas in the battlefield or different vantage points, and it's, it's just... A, it adds a lot of openness and kind of fun to the game. Um, it keeps you from getting stuck too badly in a single spot. Uh, unless it's not there, obviously, but it ke- it keeps you from getting too bunkered down, I guess, which tends to happen in a lot of shooters. I feel like. Yeah, and they do a good job of creating like different sorts of enemies. Like in those situations, they kind of force you to use the rail to get oh, around. Yeah, yeah, just like different enemies where you need to be jumping around. Like if you stay in one spot too long, there you're just gonna die. So you need to be in a lot of different spots for short amounts of time. Shoot, 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 move. Shoot, 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 <laughs> move, basically. Yeah. And it just kind of like gets your adrenaline up. It's like another level um, of gameplay, something you have to think about other than all the other stuff that you normally have to think about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what else did you like? The overall message of the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of crazy like how relevant all that stuff is today, just with all the racial undertones and just people thinking one race is superior to other races and just that kind of mindset. I feel like, sadly, it's still around now and maybe even more so than in the past few years. So I just think that it's still sad but it's still pretty relevant i think yeah yes definitely feels relevant today the game is pre-2016 so exactly it's nothing to do with any of that stuff but at the same time it you know it harkens back pretty strongly yeah Uh, one of the things i liked uh was the balance between combat exploring the city and the story was really good so you're not just like going from like combat arena to combat arena to, you know, to battle. The game gives you time to kind of explore between these. Uh, so you can kind of explore the city a little bit. And you also have points where, you know, you get really heavy into the story. But, you know, none of it feels too very long. Like, you know, you'll have a section of story and then you'll go back to exploring. And then you'll have, you know, they'll, they balance the three aspects really well. And also the, uh, the voxophone mechanic. You have these kind of like recorded diaries of people that you can listen to while you're exploring so you can kind of double up on the story uh, without actually having to like sit and watch a cutscene or something like that. Yeah, I like all the exploring that it offers as well, just so you get you get a break from all the battling. Yeah. But also, like you said, there's um, a lot of things you can find new weapons, um, ammo, can find health, you can find salts. You can also just explore the city and look at the cool game design because they really put in a lot of details into just all the different buildings. You can go into like banks, people's homes, a gunsmith, you know, like all these different kind of businesses and see like this cool steampunk 1912 version of it, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. I also think that it's pretty cool that you can do sort of like useless stuff, like turn the water on in places. (laughs) 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 I just wanted to bring that up because I like to call myself the wet bandit of uh, Bioshock Infinite. And anytime I saw a sink or a bathtub that I could turn the water on, I did it and I just walked away. (laughs) There's a a lot of flooding in my game of Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's great. (laughs) I also, I mean, I've already mentioned this before, but I really like the uh, Latisse twins. Oh, yes. (laughs) They're just so funny. And they really bring, like, um, I guess that comic relief to the game. There's not a lot of funny parts to the game. It's a little more serious. I feel like there's a pretty good balance of silly and fun stuff between the scary and serious political religious stuff well what else do you think was kind of like less serious uh some of the enemies like you're fighting basically mechanic george washington's with chain guns that's pretty fucking ridiculous (laughs) hey those things are hard (laughs) yeah i mean they're they're scary and hard but at the same time silly it's pretty fucking silly (laughs) 
Good point. Good point. Uh, and and then some of the figures are kind of silly too. <laughs> Like yeah. the, I don't know. The Bronco one I thought was funny. Uh, when someone dies by electrocuting them, their their head will kind of like pop. <laughs> like, it'll just kind of blow up. Dude. <laughs> that so, did happen, but I'm surprised that you thought it was so funny. I don't know. I, maybe I have a sixth sense of humor. <laughs> I think it's cool that you can play this game separately from the other Bioshock games. Uh, this was actually, I think, our first Bioshock game and totally makes sense you know since it's not really connected to the other two you know you can just play it on its own and you're not going to be lost from the story or anything like that yeah this is the first bioshock game that yeah we either of us played so and we definitely were not lost yeah and actually is why you know we have the other two so we can go back and play those because we like this one so much we're like oh we gotta check out the other ones yeah exactly what else do you like this is kind of like a long escort mission in a lot of way because, you know, you're kind of protecting Elizabeth. Yeah. Except they designed it in such a way where it doesn't feel like an escort mission at all. Like, you don't have to defend Elizabeth at all. In yeah, fact, she can take care of herself. In fact, she's super helpful in a lot of ways. And it's, yeah, it really feels like they figured out the escort mechanic better than a lot of games. For a lot of other games, I feel like escort missions are basically like, oh, you got to protect this person they're pretty much worthless. Like they don't do anything to help you. They're only in hindrance and you kind of dread those aspects of the game, but it just is really fun having her with you rather. And it kind of like makes you appreciate her character more just in the sense that she actually is helping you. Yeah. I totally agree with you on Elizabeth. I think she's just a really cool character. She's a really nice companion to have along with you. And she really drives the story forward and makes it super interesting. And they do a good job of slowly kind of revealing her story throughout the game. So that once you get to the end, her story lines up with Booker's and it it all wraps up really, (laughs) really nicely. I also like that, you know, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but that this game doesn't just fall into, like, stereotypical, like, tropes and stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're playing this game, you might think, oh, Elizabeth, she's cute. Like, maybe you and her would end up together. Yeah. Or, like, there might be some sort of romantic thing happen. But then, you know, at the end of the story, obviously, (laughs) you find out why that never happens. And it's kind of refreshing. Like, there's no, like, romantic storyline in this game. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely There's no love story, so. Yeah, it felt like Well, maybe there is. It's love, but it's not romance. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Love, but not that way. Yeah. Uh, Any other likes? Uh, Just overall, I think it's an awesome game. I like the fantasy of it. I like the way it looks. It's fun to play. The music is good. The characters are great. Yeah. Honestly, I can't even think of any cons. Like, I was trying to come up with cons for this, and I don't know. Not even one came to mind. I had a really tough time coming up with cons. Okay, so the one thing I put is that only being able to hold two weapons uh, with a limited (laughs) amount of ammo might be a con for some people. Like, it didn't bother me because it was a a fun aspect of the game because you're constantly running around. Like you can only hold a yeah, very limited amount of ammo. So like once you use it all up, you pretty much have to go out and find a new gun. And there's always going to be a ton of guns on the battlefield. Just laying around. Yeah. Yeah. So once you run out of ammo, you're, you're, you grab a new gun, you're finding ammo for all these different guns when you're exploring. So hopefully you've built up enough ammo for that one gun, whatever gun you find, but it adds another element to combat. Yeah, yeah I, makes, I said that that could be a con, but I said that as a pro, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't see that as a con. I like it because in other games, you know, like the one we just played, you could carry pretty much everything you found all at once. Yeah. You know, I don't know. For that game, it worked, but there's just no challenge there of like strategically having certain guns for certain types of combat. Yeah. So, uh, so I kind of like that you can only have two because it forces you to think, okay, what kind of battle is this probably going to be? Oh, yeah. And what guns are going to be most beneficial for this battle? Yeah, you really have to try to think ahead and guess about like what you're going to be getting into. And you don't always have the right guns, I feel like. 
No. And then hopefully you can find something that will be useful on the battlefield. But <laughs> Yeah, there's like a lot of situations where you might have a sniper rifle, but you're in a room full of people in like a small space. Yeah. Or you might have a shotgun, but then there's snipers. So you have to run around and try to find, <laughs> you know, the right gun that you need because you you're not prepared. I feel like this gun can kind of carry over into the strategy. So like... What kinds of pairs, as far as the guns go, like what what did you like pairing up? Like I, I tried to find like a short range weapon, kind of like a machine gun or a shotgun, and then like a long range weapon, like a carbine or or sniper rifle. I felt like those were kind of the best pairs, but also sometimes you could use like a rocket launcher to take snipers out. <laughs> so you could kind of use that as a long range weapon. So did you kind of mix up the pairing, or were you mostly just whatever I have ammo for, or? I would usually, like you said, try to have like a long range and a, a mid range, unless I was going to be in a lot of rooms uh, inside. And then like I found that the uh, shotguns were super useful because you could just knock an enemy out with like one shot yeah, versus you can, uh, can, like 10. Well, even if it doesn't kill them, it can stagger them. So you, can, you at least have a minute where they're not shooting you. Exactly. So I would always at least try to have a machine gun or a carbine, something kind of like that, and then switch up the other one with either close range or long range, depending on if I was outside or inside. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I actually have strategy for this, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. One of the main ones is to grind. Make sure you are looking around in every box, every barrel, every trash can to try to get the money, to try to get weapons, yeah. ammo, salts, etc. Yeah, the money is super important because you can upgrade your spells and your weapons through these uh, vending machines throughout the game. So you can up the damage and some of the weapons you like to use and stuff like that. Really, really helpful. Exactly. And if you find, you know, health and stuff on the field, then you don't have to buy it from the machine, which you can also buy from the vending machines. Yeah. But that's also kind of like another reason to explore around all the rooms and everything like that is because you never know what you're going to find in the rooms, whether it be, um, like I was just talking about, money or weapons, or if it's one of the Vox phonograph memo things that you were talking about. Um, yeah, where it's Vox phones. different people's like mini diaries or confessions yeah and you i always little snippets of story yeah i always love those because yeah you can just kind of play them you can hear uh this person's kind of diary so you can get the story that way and you can keep exploring you can keep going around looking for shit while you're listening and kind of taking in the story so it doesn't waste your time and, yeah and i love that ass i, I like games that don't waste time yeah because in like other games that i've played they'll stop everything for you to listen to what's going on and this is cool because you could still walk around you could still explore while you're listening to this although i will say i feel like they should have put something in there to where if you played the vox at the same time as like dialogue was happening (laughs) yeah that was um it would just like not let you hear the vox i mean you could play it later but like they should have just had like something built in there where it would just stop playing one or the other yeah, so they weren't playing at the same time maybe I don't know. pause it or something but yeah i agree with that yeah sometimes the stories can kind of overlap where someone's talking to you and interrupting your box yeah like, journal entry that you're listening to another thing well so while you're playing the game um like we discussed earlier elizabeth can bring in these tears during your battles which could be anything from a crank gun that you can activate. It could be a bin with a bunch of medical kits in it. It could be an automatic turret. Yeah, there's just a bunch of different things that she can bring in to help you. But so while you're playing the game, if you come up on an area and you see a bunch of these tears, obviously, like, you're about to have a big battle. Yeah, and you don't like, know... Like, it's we... a sign. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And That's the strategy. It's like... Just be aware of where these tears are. Because if you start seeing, for instance, a bunch of ones that are cover, you're probably going to be a big battle coming up. Yeah, yeah, that's good, good strategy. And it also kind of helps to just kind of look around the room because they're not always obvious where they are. Sometimes if you look in a certain area, it's like, oh, there's a little floating mechanical thing up here that can assist you and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I love those things. Yeah. 
Um, another thing I did, which um, we kind of talked about earlier too, was just like matching the right weapon for the right scenario. You know, having shotguns when you're inside, having sniper rifles when you're outside and people are going to be in buildings. You know, you can only hold two guns at a time. So like the strategy there is pretty important. Yeah, and being able to get around the areas without dying is pretty helpful, too. Oh, yeah. To find uh, new guns and ammo and stuff. Yeah. Uh, what kind of strategy did you have, Eric? So the um, so the handyman is by far the hardest regular enemy in the game that you'll fight. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, so and, scary. And, yeah, they're pretty terrifying. They're huge. Uh, when you encounter them. They are giant, they are faster than you, and in 1999 mode, they can kill you in a couple hits. I think oh, that... Oh, wow. Yeah, so they are... Uh, it was not as hard on medium mode. <laughs> uh, so I found that the key to dealing with them is they will only show up in areas with the skyline. So using the skyline is really helpful. Oh, yeah. So make sure when you encounter one to kind of stick near the skyline. The only issue is... They will attempt to electrify it if you stay on there too long. Oh, yeah. Um, but they give you a pretty sweet warning. Yeah. He'll, get off of there. Yeah, he'll say, like, get off of there. And then, you know, like, okay, he's about to start shocking the line, so I need to get off. And while he's shocking the line, he's vulnerable to damage. Yeah. It takes him a minute to jump to the different areas, too. So uh, using the skyline when you're fighting a handyman is really, really helpful. There was a part in 1999 mode where I, I really got stuck, and that was the first Lady Comstock graveyard fight. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. for me, that was, like, super-duper easy. So either I'm really good at that part, or it's just really hard on 1999 mode. Yeah, well, the problem, like, where you start, you basically have no cover. You're literally kind of... Nowhere to run. Yeah, your back is up against pretty much a wall. True. And she immediately summons a bunch of dead soldiers to shoot you, who, you know all have really high accuracy and do a bunch of damage in 1999 mode. Uh, and her ghost will kind of run around the area constantly summoning dead soldiers to fight you. And you can easily run out of ammo if you spend too much time kind of killing the, the soldiers. That's true. I pretty much, my strategy for that was to, I think I got lucky because I had a rocket launcher or something. And I was pretty much just shooting at her like the whole time because I figured once she died, yeah, all of her little ghost buddies would die. Yeah, and that's true. And like in 1999 mode, so like when you die, not only does it you know take a hundred coins, and if you run out of coins, then you just go back to the start screen and you have to redo an area. But enemies recover life after you die, and her i feel like she recovered pretty much all of her life anytime you died so it's pretty much like starting over yeah so i felt like every time i died i pretty much had to restart the fight <laughs> which, which is why i had to do this one how so many much. times do you think it took you uh probably six or seven times i think to get through this Dang. one return to sender viger was the most useful thing in this fight because it did give that extra health bar and then you could take that damage and you pretty much better hit her with it. <laughs> <laughs> you only get one chance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was pretty much my strategy. The final battle in the game, you definitely want to throw those return, return to sender orbs on the electric thingy that you're protecting. Yeah. So do you have anything on the future of Bioshock? Oh, <gasps> uh, I do. Probably the same thing you found because there wasn't that much. Yeah. But um, there is a Bioshock 4 in development, but... Very little has been released about the game. There's not really a lot of detail out there, not even a date yet. It was announced back in 2019, so it's been in development for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and, and no release date. But, or, yeah, there's no release date, or, like, I don't think anyone knows about the setting or anything yet, either. No, I don't... I'm very, very curious to see, like, maybe, maybe what they're going to do with it. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, I did find that there is a rumor... Uh, that Netflix may have a Bioshock series in the works. Mm. What would you think about a Bioshock series on Netflix? I mean, it would look cool. <laughs> yeah. Live action, especially Bioshock, and well, either of them would look yeah. really cool. Underwater like just, city or floating city. Yeah, cinematically. I could just envision a lot of really cool shots, especially like of the environment and stuff. Yeah, and they, they have pretty good themes they could go with. Like, uh, I feel cult 
re- religious cult is a pretty big theme in these games. Oh, yeah. Having alternative realities. <laughs> yeah, alternative Even realities. Even just Elizabeth's power of, like, being able to open these tears of alternative realities would be a really cool concept for a show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could do a lot. Uh, any other feature bits? No, it's really getting fun that much. Yeah. So, overall... I would say 10 out of 10. I really love this game. I would definitely recommend playing it. At this point, it's out on everything. You can play it on Xbox, PlayStation. It came out on Switch, I think, in 2020. Yeah, so, it's, it's out for everything. Yeah. It's very good. I highly recommend it. I think you can actually pick up all three Bioshock games as a bundle if you want to. Yeah, that's the one we have. Yeah. But we got to get that DLC. I want to play I, that I extra that story. I think it did come with it. What? I think we do have it. I didn't see it on there. Oh, going to go check. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, the question we've all been waiting for. Did you beat the game in 1999 mode? <laughs> I think we can tell by the way you talked about the story. Yeah. Oh, man. This is uh, this was a tough one. Yeah, I did, I did get through the game in 1999 mode. I mean, I know you were really kind of scared at first because you read that it's supposed to be super duper duper hard. But I don't know. Like, I don't. There wasn't any times where I felt like you got super frustrated, like where you're oh, mad. Oh, yeah, there was. That, that graveyard fight, I was pretty <laughs> freaking frustrated. Really? Yeah. Just after six, because it take, took you six tries Well, to it wasn't it. just like, you know, you would die and have to start over. It was also like you wouldn't start at the beginning of the fight. You would have to go back and, like, run through the city and get back oh, to the graveyard true. again. It was, it, was, it was really frustrating just to annoying. die. Annoying. Yeah. And then you'd have to go through that part of the story again. It's not like dying like normally where you die in the game where you just just instantly respawn. It's a lot more of your time that you're wasting. Yeah, I didn't realize. But how did you feel about 1999 mode overall? Um, It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I did get stuck at some points that were frustrating. Like I said, the graveyard fight, I really got stuck there. Um, The final battle, I thought I remember having such a hard time with that in normal mode or mm-hmm. hard mode. I don't, I forget what I first played it on, but I actually didn't feel like it was that much harder in 1999 mode. Hmm. I mean, at least they give you an option uh, to go harder. If you played it through medium, you played it through hard. Yeah. At least you have another level of difficultness you can go to for the people who want to like play over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was still like, I still really enjoyed playing the game. <laughs> you know, it, even on the super hard mode, the game is super fun. <laughs> I wonder why they call it 1999 mode. I just picture like maybe games of the era of 1999 were considered harder than 20, you know, what, what, when did 13? it come out? 13? Yeah, 2013, yeah. maybe. Hmm. I don't know. If you're listening, why do you think it's called 1999 mode? Oh, maybe because mode? <laughs> you actually have a game over. Like if you run out of money, you know, every time you die, it takes 100 coins or whatever. Yeah. And if you don't have 100 coins, it just boots you out to the main screen. Yeah, good point. So I'm like dying to know what game you're going to pick next. Oh. Because uh, <laughs> we've had some crazy games so far this season. So. I feel like this is a good a good change of pace. Oh, okay. Do you want to take any guesses? A quick pace or a slow pace? <laughs> uh, quick pace. Fast Ooh, pace. Ooh, fast, fast. Um, Mario Kart. Sports ball. Sports ball. Uh, is basketball a video game? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you dri- remember that movie you're driving around <laughs> in little cars uh rocket league yeah that's it oh okay rocket League. I've been, i played a little bit but i don't know you've been kind of obsessed with this game lately yeah it's it's a really good game i've enjoyed it it's a free game um but don't hold that against it <laughs> <laughs> it's still really enjoyable for what it is are you ready to hear your challenge oh god I suck at this game, so oh, you, we'll see if I can accomplish it. I might have to do a rap about Rocket League. <laughs> you're about to have to get better. Oh, no. Because in order to complete the challenge, you're going to have to get four MVPs and 3v3 matches. What do you have to do to get to be MVP? To get an MVP, you have to score the most goals in a match for your <gasps> team, and your team wins. Oh, my God. I mean, it's six players, so one out of the six players in every game is going to be MVP. So as oh long as you God. get the most goals in that game, you will be MVP. <laughs> I've never gotten the most goals on any of the games I've played of Rocket League. That's why you're going to be Oh, man, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to be rapping. 
I think stay you can tuned do it. next time. <laughs> Just stay tuned to find out if Nikki will be the MVP or the least valuable player who reps. Oh God. See you guys next time. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Bye. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and also on Twitch. So uh, if you're into any of that, please follow us. And we'd also love to hear what your opinions are. If you have played any of the games that we talked about, uh, let us know what you think. And we'll see you next time.